Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Conquer the Gauntlet Pro and Strength and Speed owner, Evan Preparis. I've got a guest with me on the line. He's a fellow Hammer Nutrition-sponsored athlete. So I'm going to introduce him, and then I'm going to try to remember to give a shout-out to our sponsors, because every time I do it this way, I always forget to actually shout-out the sponsor until the end of the episode. All right, so joining me, I have Mark Godet from Vermont. Played, uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about his background. Played five sports yeah, in high school, earning all conference honors in all sports and all state honors in basketball, cross country, and soccer. So, very broad, multi sport background. Athlete of the year from his high school in 2004. Uh, Colby College, Waterville, Maine, uh, is where he went to school and had a degree in history and computer science and played guard for the Mules basketball team. Afterwards, he went into the Army. So, went to Ranger School, graduated Ranger School, and then got interested in endurance sports. You know, he's been in the 101st Airborne Division, 75th Ranger Regiment, 1st ID, or 1st Infantry Division, deployed four times to Afghanistan and once to Republic of Korea, has a master's in policy management from Georgetown University and has plans to return to Ranger Regiment. So obviously we'll, we'll be talking about a lot of military stuff because I have a lot of crossover points with you there. Now some past endurance accomplishments besides this is his first year on the Spartan Pro Team. He's also being sponsored by Hammer Nutrition. And so far in 2020, it's been kind of a, Light year, but won the running public burpee 10K. Finished second place at the Ultravirus Virtual 12-hour race with 85 miles at a 712 pace, which is very impressive. And what we care most about here is currently in seventh place at the 2020 Spartan U.S. National Series, which I believe only has had one race. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep, Jacksonville in February. Yeah, and we'll be talking about that a little bit more. And then, you know, history of obviously – Top-level performances here. Eighth place, 2019 JFK 50-miler. 15th place, Spartan World Championships, 2019. 11th place, 2019 Spartan North American Championships. Fourth place, 2018 World's Toughest Mudder with 85 miles. Been the best Ranger competitor uh, four times in the past. So some of you know, may know that competition because Robert Killian, Spartan World Champion, two times has won it. And uh, other than that, finished first place at 2013 Baton Death March and some other good stuff also a certified whitewater rafting guide. So, Mark, welcome <laughs> to the show. Thanks, Evan. I, I appreciate you having me on today. Uh, I've been, been listening uh, for a while now and uh, looking forward to our conversation today. Oh, cool. That's always nice. I never expect people, my own guests, to actually have listened to the show in the past, but it's, it's always a nice surprise. And before we forget, let's plug Hammer Nutrition. So, obviously, I'm a huge fan of their products. I've been using them for years. started using them in 2014. Uh, and then I started as an athlete with them in 2015. They've been great. My favorite product is Perpetuum Carb Fat Protein Blend. It's all liquid. That's what I use for all my endurance racing. And I'd say one of, one of my other products that people don't talk about a lot is Remcap. So it's a sleep aid, lets you sleep deep, deeply at night, uh, which I used a ton of for you know, toughest mutter and world's toughest mutter, especially those like pre-race where you get those like jitters and you're having trouble sleeping. You pop mm-hmm. one of those pills and you just like I go out. So what do you, uh, what do you like about them, Mark? Yeah. So, uh, as we'll get into, I'm fairly new to the, the OCR ultra scene, I guess, at least in a, like a professional capacity. Um, so I've, I've experienced over the last few, few years with a, a bunch of different products and, and once I found hammer, I really haven't 
gone back to anything else. Um, it's just a really clean product. And especially for these, these long ultra endurance races, I lean heavily on some of the products you mentioned, um, but then also the, uh, the gels, the heat, and then I'm, I'm really big into the recovery products. So the recovery right and the tissue rejuvenator are, are two of my favorites. Yeah, absolutely. I use a ton of that for both OCR Americas. I usually, I use it year round too, but I'm not as, let's say religious about it. I don't, it's like sometimes I forget to take it or, you know, I'm busy, but yeah, if anyone wants to order some hammer nutrition stuff, uh, you can use a referral number 240-887 and get 15% off your first order. And I know, I don't think we're allowed to say the flavors yet, but they they have a new flavor of heat coming out and they have a new flavor of recovery right coming out, which I know you're tracking from the hammer nutrition group. So just be on the lookout. Really for looking that. forward to it. I'm really excited about the heat one. It, it looks really good. So, all right, let's, let's kind of get into it. So we're both military guys. So that's going to come up in topic a lot during this, but let's first start off with how did you find OCR, right? Cause you, you know, looking through your resume and I deleted a ton of stuff um, off of it and she kind of shortened it, but you've had success for a long time in a variety of sports. And how did you end up in OCR and like why pursue it versus following one of those other sports? Yeah. So it's, Kind of a an interesting story is my dad actually got into OCR, I'd say in his 50s, in the, I'd say 2012. He, he was really pushing me. He's like, hey, I think this is really like cut out for you because you're, you're a strong runner, um, but you got a little bit more meat on you. So I'm, I'm about six feet tall at the time, probably weighed like 165, 170. Um, and I was a, a pretty decent runner, but I'm not really at that at that elite level of of road running uh, per se. So my dad's like, I think this is like perfect for you. You're not you're not big enough for like the CrossFit type competitions, but uh, you can't move with the guys on the road. But I think you might be able to take all of them when it comes to uh, to OCR. So he was pushing at me for a long time, and I never really I don't know, I never really decided decided to give it a try. So I I stuck with the road running, stuck with the lifting, and then. Uh, as I got more into like the functional fitness at, at the Ranger Regiment as a, uh, as a lieutenant and a, a young captain, and then further um, down the road, get into the best Ranger competition. A lot of that training um, involved like obstacles and, and getting through the Derby Queen at the best Ranger competition in, fat, in a fast manner. And I was finding them, hey, I am pretty good at this stuff. And then uh, in 2016, the best ranger competition brought Spartan race into the event. So they made it a day two event. So we, we'd covered about 40 miles in day one and we had just finished, I think an 18 mile ruck that year. You go into night stakes. So a bunch of technical events all through the night. And then right as the sun is coming up, we were the very first wave of the Spartan race at Fort Benning. And, uh, we're going through it and about halfway into the race, I, I remember there being a uh, an Atlas Stone carry, <clears throat> and Robert Killian, who had won the the World Championship the year before in 2015, is right next to me carrying the Atlas Stone. And about halfway through, you had to like dip under a wire a few feet off the ground. And I remember picking up the stone and running by uh, Robert Killian, and like right then, it like snapped in my head, like, hey, I could, I might be pretty decent at this stuff. Of course, we get to the end. My partner and I like both missed the spear, uh, being, being our first uh, Spartan race. And Rob and, Rob and his partner come up. They both drill the spear and, and take the event. Um, but that was like my first, I guess, aha moment of I think I could be pretty 
pretty good at this stuff. So that was 2016. As you know, the, the Army keeps us pretty busy. So I didn't really do another event until 2017, also in the Best Ranger competition. And then again in 2018 in the Best Ranger competition, all hard races. Um, I just never really had the time. And then uh, I ended up getting picked up for a fellowship uh, here in the Washington, D.C. area. And we moved out here. And I kind of, I don't know, I fell into a reliable schedule that allowed me to train to compete at the highest level. And uh, I just decided, like, I've got a three-year window here, and I'm, I'm going to go for it. So that's, that's what I've been, I've been doing. So really, my OCR career really kicks off in, in 2018. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I didn't start getting involved into OCR really until I went to the uh, Commanding General Staff College. So it's like a it's a year where you're in the States and you're, you're just taking college classes, but like military type college classes. And so I, I see, I know what you mean with that schedule that, you know, you, you disappear for six months or a year or four months and you know, you got it. Plus you got pre-mission training that you got to go to. So it's, it's very disruptive. So I think some people see, you know, especially guys like Killian or you or me that are still active duty and are still actually competing in events and think that's fairly normal when I'd say normal is you, not being around in the United States and the army is messing with your schedule at all times. So. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, and, and Rob has a, has a little bit of a benefit being in the national guard, but I think sure. you'll see with, with us, we have like these, these windows um, yeah. where we can, you know, we got to make the most of them. And I think I'm, I'm kind of into my last year of this window. So um, I've, I've always kept myself in, in good shape, but as you know, like there's that to be at that next level, you can't just be doing, um, PT in the morning from from 6:30 to to 8, and expect to contend with the with the top athletes in the sport. No, no, not even close. If you enter the the army in good shape, chances are it's going to pull you down to a, to a average, right? It's like <laughs> it, it likes to, you know, it tries to pull pe- the the weak people up, but the you know unless you're working out on your own a significant amount, it pulls the top people down also. So uh, you got to fight against that and train on your own, absolutely. Now you've done, we mentioned Best Ranger, and if, you, if people aren't tracking what it is, you know, it's a, such a weekend-long competition. So how many hours is it about? For the it's entire about 60, 62 hours straight. Yeah. So and you have to do all these military tasks, and one of them you mentioned is called the Darby Queen. It's famous obstacle course uh, as, that's part of Ranger School. So wh- for those that have never done the Darby Queen, can you compare it or describe it for them? Because I'm sure as an OCR athlete, people would be interested mm-hmm. in what the quote-unquote army's obstacle course is like so i'd say a couple of the it's about a mile and a half i'd say yeah about a mile and a half in length and probably you're probably talking 25 obstacles that's just a best best guess there but some of the familiar obstacles i think are the uh the dirty name i think some of the events call it like the belly buster uh, basically where you jump to one log you have to balance on the one log and then jump to another one which is usually about maybe four feet and then about three or four feet out in front of you which you nail your midsection on you've got to got to get over uh, which is it's pretty it's pretty difficult when you're pretty beat down after a couple of days uh there's the tarzan which is i'm gonna jump in for a second i've never had a problem at any ocr doing that obstacle the one you just described but when I went to ranger school uh, a long time ago, I failed that both times I tried. 
Yeah, and like not even close. I like I was like this is preposterously <laughs> high, and my uh, five foot six inch frame is not making it. So oh, I can I can definitely see it, and the I would say that there's two of them that stand next to each other, and they're they're not standard heights. Like one of them is significantly harder than the other one. Oh really? Uh, so every year you'll see the the teams who know what they're doing. They put their stronger guy on the on that obstacle to the right, which is a little bit harder. Um, but yeah, this one is so high that they actually have a rope that you have to come down from uh, to give people an idea of uh, how different it is. It's not one where you just like flip over and then like hop down. It's there's one that you actually grab a rope and like slide down. So maybe what would you say? Maybe 10, 10 feet. Well, we're, I can't remember it. it yeah. I just remember it being really tall and essentially it's a double one. Cause you like stand on a low one. Right. And then you jump up and then I think you do it again. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So it's yeah, like a double. It's, it's like a double versus what most people would know in OCR. Right. Yep. So that's one of the events that people are familiar with. And then there's the the Tarzan, or it's monkey bars, but it's they're wooden handles and they're extremely thick. They're so but fat, and they're yeah. like smooth from thousands of ranger schools rubbing <laughs> their grubby hands all over it. Exactly, and it's uh, it's a really long event, and they're very the graders are very uh, tough on that one. Like there's, there's beams that hold them up. And if your pants brush the beams, like you're out and it's, it's only a couple feet wide. So you really have to, to maintain your lower body when you're, when you're pushing through that. And to get up onto the bar on that one, there's, there's three balance beams of different heights that get you up to the monkey bars, oh, yeah. um, which um, can be like, you know, it's a little like, disorienting to when you get up to that high one you're only like 10 feet off the ground but it still feels like you're you know you're 30 feet off the ground uh, balancing on a, a pretty narrow beam uh, so that's one event there's a barbed wire crawl there's some water uh, like low crawling and you have to go on your back through some water there's a team buddy event like a tower where you've got to help each other up to three different levels and then come down yeah, that one's visually, visually that one's really cool. Yep. Yeah, and then there's a there's a series of of uh, obstacles that will test your your fear of heights. Uh, so just extremely tall, basically ladders that are made out of telephone poles that pretty spread apart. Where someone of your height might really struggle with it, but you basically have to stand and jump to the next one, pull yourself up, get your balance on one, and then continue on. Um. And there's some cargo nets and some ropes. And um, are there any other ones that you're that are popping out at you? No, I mean it's been a long time since I've done that one, and I get I start getting it confused with the uh, the one at for uh, Camp McCall, the Nasty Nick. So my right. my memory starts overlapping. All, all I remember is so the Special Forces has a famous obstacle course race, or it's not a race event uh, or course, also called the Nasty Nick which I like better than the Darby Queen because the Nasty Nick was a lot more upper body intensive where I remember there's a lot of ropes and uh, like monkey bars and um, I didn't have the super fat wooden monkey bars. And cool. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't gotten up to that one. Uh, but yeah, and then, uh, and then the Darby Queen ends with a, it's about a two to 300 meter uh, run um, right at the end that brings you right back to the, to the same start point. So yeah, about a mile and a half to two miles somewhere in there. If you're, if you're really booking, I think you, if you can go sub, uh, and I, I can't even remember, I think around, I think 20, 25 minutes is like a, a really solid time if I remember correctly. Yeah. And at Ranger school, it's just essentially 
there's no stopwatch running. It's basically pass fail, or at least when I went through it was. Right. Yeah. And, and the entire time you're usually doing doing push ups while you're yeah, waiting we, in line yeah. or, or beating your boots or, or something to, to make it that much more uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, I have some funny stories from Nasty Nick. There, um, guys would like fall off the rope climb and like land and essentially this crushed tire. That's like the padding, you know, and they would, they would land and the instructor would come over and be like, would you like to quit? And the guy would be like, uh, you know, and he's like, would you like to quit? Like completely stoic. And, you know, and then he's like, no. And they're like, get back in line. You know, like, not like, how are you? Are you, are you, did you hurt something? You know, it's immediately, do you, do you want to quit? And then um, if you say no, then you get back in line. If you say yes, they, they escort you off the course. So, And one of the other interesting ones from the Nasty Nick was I was in the back of the uh, formation. So I was one of the last people to start the course. And they have one where it's like essentially a series of tunnels. Mm-hmm. And normally I'm not even remotely claustrophobic, but I could see how people could freak out in that because – you know, the lines were getting, there was getting lines at obstacles. And I was, we were like jammed into a tunnel where you couldn't see the ending on either side. And there's literally, there's literally like six people in the tunnel in front of you, another eight people behind you. And you're just like sitting there waiting your turn in the dark and you're like sweating and um, you got somebody else's boots in your face. So yeah, that's kind of an interesting one. All right. So let's talk about, you know, we touched on a little bit about balancing OCR and military life. Do you have anything further to say on that? And how do you eventually try to tackle that when your current window closes? Yeah, I, I mean, that's the, the plan is to stick stick with it. And I, I think it all comes back to to time management. And I think that goes for, for really anyone. And what, I, what I'm finding now is I just get up even earlier. I, I, had, to, I had to take a, a trip last week uh, for my, my current job. And uh, I just, I found time. Um, I had to be checked out of the hotel at uh six o'clock in the morning so i got up at three forty-five and got it in uh, yep. so there's there's time if you make it um it's i guess it's just a matter of uh how much we're willing to uh to put in and, and sacrifice and a lot of times it comes to the expense of sleep which is which is not ideal but you can still get it in and since you made it through ranger school i'm sure you're very used to uh not sleeping i think you've you've checked that block off the man card and experience. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't, I, I'm a, I love to sleep too, <laughs> which is unfortunate. <laughs> so if you're not, if you're not tracking Ranger School's 61 day course, three phases, you start and if you're lucky or in, and good, you go straight from day one to day 61, no problems. Um, if you are unlucky or not good, you get to repeat phases and it can theoretically last a year or more depending on how many times you recycle so did you end up making it through on the first go or did you have to repeat no, any phases? So I'm, I'm a 90 day ranger um okay. so my entire squad was recycled in uh in darby uh the first time through uh because we had we had a ranger a young ranger who continued to make mistakes on, on patrols that was costing the rest of the team and apparently some RIs or ranger instructors heard uh, some teammates of mine within my squad uh, talk about not working for that guy on his, you know, on his patrol when he was in charge. Uh, I was completely unaware of it until uh, the time came for us to move on to, to mountains and they called our entire squad off to the side and they brought us in one by one. 
and explain to us that uh, since we didn't prevent that from happening, we were just as much at fault. And oh. uh, and I accepted the recycle, even though I, I had a go in uh, Darby that first time through. So I got to do Darby twice. Um, but from that point on, I, I went straight through. Uh, but looking back, it was actually a, a humbling experience. I think it, uh, I don't know, it was good for a young, young lieutenant to see that uh like not everything is going to go your way and yeah. you're sometimes you're accountable for more than just yourself um in this career absolutely true were you a winter or summer guy i was a summer guy uh okay. so we were i was part of the class that was known for the the derby uh death march uh so we had it was about 90 degrees fort benning georgia it was july and, you know, we step off for that 15, 16 mile foot march out to Derby after wrap week. And usually, when we step off, usually like nine or 10 o'clock at night and you walk through the night and it was like nine degrees with like, like 90 degree, 90% humidity that night. And we just had people going down left and right. By the time we got there, I guess my class had so many heat injuries like a 24 hour period that they completely locked us down. Oh, wow. Uh, so, so we like, we got there, sun's coming up and we're just like sitting under a tree baking in the sun, the, the one, the few that like made it out there. And when I say few, it's still a, a large percentage of the class, but all of a sudden there's a lot of general officers walking around <laughs> asking a lot of questions. And we're like, just wondering, like, uh, this doesn't seem like ranger school. We're kind of just sitting around right now. And what happened is they ended up, because of the temperatures and because our class had struggled so much in that 24-hour period, they made us go to night operations for, for Darby, which generally is not the case. So the, at the time, the course is not resourced to support all night operations. And so only about half of the people in my squad had would get night vision. So you, if you were in leadership position, you'd have night vision. And if you weren't, you didn't have any night vision. Yeah. So we until they could get all the uh, the night vision goggles out to the class. Uh, we all just kind of suffered through it, I guess, that first class. And so I just remember walk, walking like aimlessly through the woods in the middle of the night, like not seeing anything, like tripping over stuff and falling down. And, you know, we were like tethering each other uh, with 550 cord uh, to our rocks and just like falling behind each other. Because uh, usually before then you would, you may finish your your uh your operation like when the sun's going down but generally all the planning and everything was done during the daytime um because it's the it's the crawl phase of ranger school and then you kind of progress into mountains in florida where you start working more at night but yeah so we weren't prepared for it and uh it was kind of a funny experience yeah it's pretty funny you say tripping tripping and falling all through the night you know the people think of this elite military school and a lot of times you're so sleep and food deprived. I mean, it, it looks like a clown show. Like you are, people are out of control sometimes. And uh, absolutely. Yeah. That's why if you go to, if you, if anyone wants to look up Rangers in actions demonstration, or if you ever go to a Ranger school graduation, there's all these like, I mean, there's all this awesome stuff the instructors are doing as a display. And you're like, yeah, we don't, we didn't look like that during, during the school. We were just, no, we were just, not at all. Like I, I have memories of uh, walking in mountains in Florida in the middle of the night, uh, basically falling asleep while walking and just like 
falling like off the or walking off the trail and not really coming to until I'm like breaking brush like oh where am I and like looking back and like I just completely veered off the off the trail uh we were supposed to be walking on I gotta like run back onto the trail and fall back in or you start seeing like trees as people yep um or vice versa it's it's a wild experience yeah you and the the hallucinations get worse at night because your your body's trying your mind's trying to figure out what you're looking at so yeah it, the droning gets really bad if anyone's read my book my biography there's a, a bunch of stories in there of people acting crazy like i was i was platoon sergeant once and the the column of the column of formation just stops and i was like what the hell's going on right no radio call no hand signal so i walk up the formation to see what's going on and like we're on like a skinny trail and there's like boulders on one side and like about halfway up the formation the guy there's like a 90 degree turn in the formation and there's a guy standing like nose to nose to rock like an instrument right and i was like dude what are you doing he's like just waiting for the guy in front of me to start moving. And I was like, idiot, that's a rock. You're like, you're staring at a rock. And he's like, oh, sorry. And you're like, what the fuck? You know, you're like you're pushing him and getting him back in formation. But it's just like, I mean, we can go, we can fill up a podcast. I know we could with random ranger school st- stories of people falling asleep, doing all sorts of crazy Probably. stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, as you can tell from those stories, the – finishing an obstacle course race is challenging and finishing an endurance obstacle course race like world's toughest mudder is challenging, right? Cause that's 24 hours of continuous movement. Ranger school is 61 days and you're not moving continuously all the time, but it is so, so long. Right. And like, I think you can put an average person of good physical conditioning through a day of ranger school and they'd be like, Oh, that wasn't so bad. But it's like the nonstop grind over 61 days. So you just kind of, Talk me through like, you know, how you personally dealt with that mental grind. And then on top of that, right, like we talked about, there's a chance you could recycle. So it's not like, oh, well, I have one day crossed off and that's now behind me. Like theoretically, that might be in front of you again. You just don't know it yet. Right. Yeah, kind of how I, I dealt with it, I, I think was, you know, when we, when we go to, when you commission as an infantry officer, I think so much pressure is put on us to pass ranger school and get your ranger tab. And they... And they put so much stock in that when we're in IOBC or, or infantry officer uh, basic course or I-Bullet today, um, that I think you kind of feel that pressure when you're there. And like going in, you just got to go into the mindset that like, I'm not leaving uh, this course until I either have a tab or they kick me out. And I mean, I think everyone kind of goes in with the same uh, mentality. Um, but clearly, there's a lot of people that uh, when the, when the going gets tough and you get, you get a little deeper in this course, those thoughts really, really do creep in. And like you mentioned earlier, the, the ranger instructors, they look for that and they really look for any type of weakness and they're going to try to offer people, you know, the easy way out. Um, and so um, for me, I like, I went in, I just, I just told myself like, like simply like you're here till you get it. Um, so why don't you do things right the first time and just get out of this course? And I kind of went in that, with that mentality. And then also I, I kind of looked to the people to my left and right and was like, if that guy's still here, like, you know, I should still be here too. <laughs> um, and I kind of like, you know, you look around, there's always like a couple guys like, man, that guy's still here. Like, 
I'm as tough as him. Like whenever you're kind of feeling sorry for yourself. And I think everyone has their moments and uh, in those times in Ranger school. And I think still to this day, I can still remember the, my lowest point um, in Ranger school. And it was, it was in the mountain phase and uh, those thoughts creep in, but I, I think uh, the strong, the strongest people always like have a, you know, something to fall back on of, of what really motivates them to, to be there uh, and to, to see things through. Gotcha. Yeah, good answer. I was, uh, let's see, I did Darby three times um, before I, I finally went through. So I, I did all Darby once. Uh, it was Darby insert. So you, since you skipped that first week, of, it's called rap week. And then you, do, you just do like the last, you know, two weeks. Um, and then I they day one me and I had to start over from day one. Like, so wow. I, fin- I finished, on, I finished Darby for the second time on a Friday and day one was Monday. And I was like, you're supposed to go into range school fresh and physically fit. And I was just a complete mess. And I was falling asleep in formation before ranger school started to give you an idea <laughs> the condition I was in. Yeah. And to, to give uh, the listeners a, an idea of like the, the PT test to, to get into ranger school is not like a lot of, there's a lot of, I'd say like myths or uh, rumors about how they, you know, they, they know rep everybody and everything, but I will say they, they grade to the standard. Um, and, and generally pushups get a lot of people because a lot of people don't do them the right way. Um, right. And the, the fact that you had gone, you know, you come in in great shape and then you recycle and they just, uh, Darby inserted you so then you go through the phase again um, and your body's now broken down over two phases and for them to day one you the fact that you even pass the the push-up segment of that PT test is uh is pretty impressive uh, in my opinion <laughs> yeah so also people if, if you read my biography there's a funny story in that about that where I'm on my 39th push-up and when I do the 40th one the instructor says 30 and I, I still don't know to this day if he was messing with me or if it was a genuine accident. And I almost got up and walked away because I was like, you, I was so angry. Like, you don't want to talk about being bitter. I mean, I, I'd been there for, because I was there of a best ranger break too. I'd been there for like three months already. And I didn't, I was, I had such a bad like attitude going through that last time. I just, I just didn't care anymore. Um, but again, like you said at the beginning, you know, you go in that with the mentality of like, they're either kicking me out or I'm getting my tab and you know, that's the mentality I went in, I went in with and um, they really, t- it really tested me. I still have, you know, people talk about PTSD for like military <laughs> veterans. The worst dreams I have are still about ranger school and if all, everything I've seen and all the other training I've done, like people like I'll have dreams about ranger school still. And I've been out of it for, I don't know, you know, 14 years. And it's like just a terrible place. I just hate that place so much. I can believe it. <laughs> you know, we talked about the drive to continue, but you know, what's your opinion on quitting? And I don't, I don't know if we're, where we're going to go with this conversation, but it quitting in a when you're in a squad or platoon um, is not necessary. I'll, I'll let you take it. And then I'll, I'll, I'll throw, throw some two cents in, but go ahead. Your opinion. Yeah, on- I mean, I, I think uh, when it, when it came to Ranger school, I mean, you, you really, you can't make it in the infantry. You're going to have to go back eventually and get your Ranger tab. If you want to, progress and, you know, make a, a 20 year career out of this, out of this profession. So understanding that as a, as a Lieutenant, you're like, this isn't going to get any easier for me as I get older. Like, you know, I'm going to go to my unit. People are going to look down on me um, without even knowing how good of a leader I really am. 
And then, uh, and so having those fears and knowing my unit's gonna send me right back to go and it just add, applies more pressure to me. And then, you know, even if I come back to the captain's career course later on in my career, I still got my tab, they're gonna send me back again. And like, you know, understanding that like you're gonna do this eventually or you're, you're not gonna have this for a career. Um, I think just really drove me to get it done like as a, a brand new second lieutenant. So I think I, I had that. And then when you just talk like quitting in general, I, I really think it it's how you're just mentally wired and, and how you're brought up. Like my parents never let me quit at anything. And then also I think my parents raised me to be, whether this is, is good or bad, they raised me to be hyper competitive. Um, and, and ranger school is just another, you know, another competition for me. Um, like a, a, a good example of that is like my, um, as, as a parent, you, you play a lot of games with your kids and, you know, kids always want to win too. And my dad never let me win at anything, um, growing up. Like he, he made me earn it. And it wasn't until I was like, my dad is a college basketball player, a really, uh, is, is still a really good runner to this day uh, in his age group. And uh, like, he didn't let me beat him in one-on-one -on -one in basketball ever. Uh, so the first time I beat him, I was a, I was either a sophomore, or I think I was a sophomore in high school. I think I was 16 years old when I finally beat him in one-on-one. -on -one. So that puts him at, I mean, he was in his like mid to late forties at that time. And we had played, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of one-on-one -on -one games starting when I was, you know, six years old in the yard. Now he, he wouldn't block my shots when I was like a, a little kid, but he wouldn't let me win. Like he would, and it just drove me to, you know, and it made it that much sweeter when I was 16 and I finally beat him in the, uh, the driveway in, in Austin, Texas. And he punted the ball and down the driveway and I like was fist pumping. Um, but I just think, uh, yeah, they never let me quit. They never let me start like a season a club, anything, and then uh, walk away from it. So I saw everything through. Um, and then they just raised me to be super competitive. And I just still to this day, I take things that probably aren't supposed to be a competition and I turn them into a competition, at least in my head. Yeah. That's that a good answer. You know, you say the, you're talking about the pressure before you go to ranger school. For me personally, that was like the most pressure I've ever felt like for pretty much anything in my life. You know, and people are like, oh, what about combat? And it's like, well, in combat, like if I lose, right, if I'm dead and then it's no longer my problem. Um, so that was just, that was my way of dealing with it. But I can, I can completely relate to that. And it's, it sounds really strange, but the same thing has, I can say for me is, uh, is when I'm being like evaluated in like a fake scenario, I feel more pressure and stress than I do when I'm actually doing things in real life, if that makes sense. I agree with that statement. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with that. I felt, I felt very, when we were in Iraq, I felt very comfortable. Like I, it's just, uh, not at the beginning, you know, at, at first, but like, once you get into the swing of things, like, you know, you generally have a good idea of, uh, you know, danger and what works and what doesn't work. And, um, you figure things out pretty quickly. So definitely. You know, the, the other thing, part about not quitting, especially for something like you, you saw, you definitely saw it at Ranger School, but it's amplified even more at uh, Selection was it puts a burden on the rest of the guys you're with, right? So if, if you're at Ranger School and you quit and you're carrying the tripod, which is absurd, <laughs> absurdly heavy, 
now someone else has to carry the tripod, right? So like, it's not only, you're not only giving up on yourself, but like you're giving up on your teammates. And you mentioned like, you know, it's taking care of the guy to your left and right. And uh, yeah, just kind of wanted to reemphasize that. Exactly. Yeah. And you, you are in, you're in this together with, with everyone there. And um, you become good friends with these guys that are, you know, enjoying the misery alongside you. And yeah, it, you, you know, like, Hey, they're still here um, and they need me. <laughs> um, and then also just the, the thought of having to look in the mirror, you know, and answer those questions of like, Oh, I thought you were supposed to be in ranger school. Just like, you know, made quitting, not even an option. Yep. Completely agree. All right. Let's talk a little bit more about best ranger. Very long competition. We talked a little bit about it. You know, what lessons can you pull from best ranger and apply to competitive OCR? So I think the, the biggest one is just the, the perspective of always being able to like dig deeper. And, you know, you're, I think we're all so much more capable of them than we, than we believe. And I think best ranger really opened that, opened my mind um, to that. Uh, like the first year I can remember the first night road March probably had at that point had really pushed myself farther than I had gone in like a, in a 24 hour period. And I, those thoughts of like, you know, I, I'm feeling sorry for myself, my, my feet hurt. Um, they all crept in to my head. And by the next year, when I came back, like it was way deeper into the competition where I kind of had those same thoughts. And so then you kind of get obsessed with like, Hey, uh, this is something I can, I can continue to build on. And I would say in 2018, the last year I competed, um, like my body and my mind held up that much, that much better. Um, so you start to, you start to realize that like, Hey, I'm capable of so much more than I ever thought. And I, I kind of bring that to the OCR world and that perspective of like, yeah, I'm hurting right now, 12 miles into this, into this course or 12 hours into the world's toughest mutter and everything. But like I've done, I've gone so much deeper before and I know I still haven't even, I still haven't hit my ceiling. Um, so let's see, see how far I can take it. And I think that has what is what's paying off for me right now as, as I continue to, to kind of build a, a better resume here in OCR. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, slippery slope there of competitive sports and endurance. Yeah, I, I hear you. <laughs> now I remember I, seeing on Robert Killian's, I think it was his Instagram or something. He posted, there was an, I'm assuming this rule still in effect that you can only compete in best ranger four times now. Is that still a rule? Yeah. I think they capped it at three. Okay. Yeah. So what's your, yeah, I, I remember him posting it and people, you know, they're obviously all the, most of his followers are non-military. So they were like ripping into the rule. Uh, what's your opinion on the no more than three times rule? So I'm, I'm torn on it. I completely understand why uh, the Ranger training brigade um, instituted the rule. It's because we were, we we're kind of getting to the point where you were starting to see professional best Ranger competitors. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's not what our army is about and it's not what the, what the competition is about. Now I, some people might be saying like, you don't have a lot of room to be speaking because you competed four years in a row. <laughs> and I, I completely acknowledge that. However, I was in company command three of those four years. And the other year I was a student at the captain's career course. Oh, um, that's, for, for those of you who don't know, I mean, company command, that's a serious, you know, there's several like high marks on your, 
you know, military resume. I mean, that's, that's a busy year for you. That's, you have a lot of responsibilities, a lot of stress and a lot of uh, tasks on your plate. So, I mean, that's, that's about as busy as you can be as a, as a captain. Right. And so, so what happens is a lot of units, um, what they'll do is they'll SD or special duty uh, some of their, their best ranger competitors. And they'll usually do it like six to eight months out of the competition. And these guys will be pulled from their, their jobs and they'll, they'll just train on the side specifically for the, the event. So they'll train for eight months, them and their partner, um, along with their other teams who are, are in the event. And then there's other guys like me and, and my partners that we continue to do our jobs. And then after our workday is over, we would find time here, time there, time on the weekends to train. And then we showed up and we still beat the majority of those teams. Um, and I took pride in that. Uh, so I, I completely understand that why RTB implemented the rule. It's because there were guys who I think had competed seven, eight times in a row. The competition was starting to become like a, you know, some of the events were like rehearsed yeah. skits instead of, you know, like, you know, reacting to the event that is thrown in front of you. These guys had, had uh, especially some of the guys down there at Fort Benning, um, like those guys had trained on that specific piece of terrain, on that piece of piece of equipment, with the exact ropes. I'm I'm just thinking like the the Prusik climb, which is a very technical event. These guys had trained for months on that exact apparatus apparatus that we we're gonna uh, compete on. So and then we come in Pru- and they. Pru- they Pru- let me. Yeah, I'm gonna interrupt real quick. Prusik climb essentially is a rope hanging from a tower, and there's knots on the rope, and you essentially like slide the knots up, and when you put your weight down and they lock. So you're like shimmying up this rope tower thing. If that explains it decently. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And so they had trained on the exact equipment that we were, we had in the competition. And then, you know, the, some of the other teams showing up from, from other units would, uh, they would get like a, like a 30 minute class and like a two hour window to mess around on the rope beforehand before doing it live in front of the cameras. Um, there's just a lot of events that it's, it's extremely hard to, to win that competition and contend if you're not put on S- special duty. Uh, so what my, my partners and I, we came in with, we kind of was like, Hey, we're still here to win, but we're going to win every single physical event <laughs> that we can. So no one's going to be us in a ruck. No one's going to be us in a run. No one's going to be us in a swim. And then, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to do our best to hold our own in all the technical events and then limit the mistakes. And that's some years we got penalized um, extremely heavily when we were one of the favored teams after a, a, uh, a, t- a top five finish. We came back the next year with, the, with my exact same partner and they were like waiting for us and they were all over us. And I think we made every mistake um, we could have made and they penalized for all of them. So uh, it's a, it's a, it's a tough event. Um, but I, getting back to your original, your uh, original question, completely understand why RTB put that, that rule in. Um, but then the other side of the argument, which um, is why I'm torn is that you can't have a, the best Ranger competition if you don't have the best Rangers there. Yeah. Um, so there's some, there's a lot of heavy hitters. There's uh, Robert Killian, like you mentioned, there's some other guys who competed three, four, uh, five times, which, you know, people want to see the the top dogs show up to go head to head. 
and it makes for a really exciting competition when you do have that experience um, because these guys understand the competition and they kind of take it to a new level when um, when you see these these animals still going hard on day three. Um, it's just a lot of fun where, you know, I felt like in 2000, I think it was 17 or 18, they, uh, they really heavily weighted like marksmanship to the point that it was, it was almost like ridiculous where the marksmanship events on day one basically decided the entire event. Um, and they devalued physical fitness, which is not in the spirit of the competition, in my opinion. So by the time we get to day three, yeah, the, the top teams, we were still there. But when you looked at the the back half of the of the crowd that still finished, so usually 52 teams start, and then generally 24 to 16 teams will finish. Um, when you looked at the back half of the field, like on the on the final buddy run, you had teams like limping in and walking in like walking the entire two mile course because they shot really well on day one mm -hmm. and get the cut. And I say, that's not what the best range of competition is about. In my opinion, when you, when you continue to open it up and you bring all the studs there, you're going to see, you're going to see teams still running, you know, 12 minute, uh, two miles, um, with boots on carrying a weapon after 62 hours of competition. And I think that's, that's what it's all about as well. Yeah. I think that was perfect. You, you answered the question. The answer, the, the answer was perfect. Cause I think people see that, you know, oh, they're no longer bringing quote unquote the best people. And they were like, like, what? That's, that's ridiculous. But I mean, you know, that especially with like, yeah, there's people doing special duty and they're not doing their job anymore. All they're doing is just training for that. And then it, you know, it turns into who's the best Ranger competition competitor versus who's the best soldier. Absolutely. That's what... Soldier related skills. So. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, my one recommended, um, I guess course of action if if uh, anyone from RTB is out there listening is they, they should go back to the roots of what this competition looked like early on um, and I know I know it's difficult because this there's a lot of sponsors and there's I know it's been televised in years past um, but the original um, event guys came right out of their units they didn't they had no idea what was coming you know you just kind of that's cool. You go in, like, you was just like a long ruck with a lot of events in between. You have no idea what's coming next. And I think you, if you, if you gave like a 60 day warning, you know what I mean? And did it executed at any time throughout that year. And you just yeah. have to be ready at all times. I think that's the true test of, of who the best Rangers are of, of who's, who keeps themselves prepared at all times. And that's really what we should all be doing. Yeah. That's, that's cool. I like that idea. All right. Let's continue along uh, with crossover lessons, right? So notice you deployed to Afghanistan a lot, which is complete opposite of me. I only went to Iraq, never made it out to Afghanistan, but you know, any lessons you can take from combat um, that apply to competitive sports or obstacle course racing in specifically? I mean, I think, I think it is once again, different type of perspective. Um, I think it, when I'm, you know, I'm standing in the, in the starting gates, you know, you're starting, everyone has those pre-race jitters and we put so much pressure on ourselves. Um, but I think some, having some of those combat experiences, I, I kind of lean on to tell myself like, Hey, I do this stuff for fun um, is really why I'm here. Um, and there's a lot, you know, more important or um, 
important things going on throughout the world um, than me racing in this this random OCR race and, and kind of just, you know, takes that pressure off myself a little bit before I start. So I think those those butterflies are, are good. Uh, but at the same time, I think a lot of us put, you know, too much pressure on ourselves. And I think a few combat deployments, seeing different parts of the world and the way some people live and the, the struggles that they face on a daily basis kind of, you know, puts all that in perspective for me. Good answer. The, I mean, I'm sure I, I've, I've heard Afghanistan is a quote unquote for my friends, a new level of poor uh, compared to Iraq, but yeah, it's a, uh, like you said, puts things in perspective. Mm-hmm. Now, the first time I met you actually was last year at toughest mutter East and you finished second. I finished third. There's another vet on the podium, Aaron Rost, who won the female division. And yes. uh, at the time, someone told me you were French, and I, I, <laughs> I apologized for thinking you were French. And then I was like, oh, this guy's not French. You're in the Army. <laughs> um, but, you know, why do you think – again, I think we might be overlapping some of our previous questions. But, you know, why, why do you think the military does good at Toughest Mudder or the specific, like that specific event? And then I, at a previous World Toughest, I, I wrote an article because, like, essentially there's a military vet on like, – the team podium mm-hmm. was a military vet two military event on the individual male and one on the female. So we were like all over the place. Yeah. I'll, I mean, I'll give you a pass on the, on the French, <laughs> uh, just because my last name, it's a little misleading and, and yeah, there is also a, um, a strong Canadian, you know, contingent out there that with the last name. So, uh, no, uh, <laughs> no hard feelings on that one. I think and, yeah, the announcer I mean, made a joke that I took it serious. I think that was the issue. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and I think the, I mean, the military, you know, it it puts, it kind of forces, is a point that I've I've made a couple times, but um, I think mental and physical toughness are, they're skills that we can develop, and then they're also perishable at the same time. And I think the military just keep keeps us sharpened in a way um, with our toughness. Um, and I think that's working my job now where I'm working, you know, I'm working on Capitol Hill. I was working on the Pentagon year before, like I'm still in the army, but it's, you know, I'm essentially a house cat, uh, as they, as they like to say. So I'm, I'm working in a cubicle, I'm wearing a suit and tie, I'm working, you know, eight to eight to five and, uh, you kind of get comfortable. And I think that happens to, to everyone. And, uh, but when you're down on the line and you're going to the field every day, you're wearing, you know, you're wearing body armor, a helmet, you're rocking to the range, you're shooting, you're out in the elements, like you kind of, you kind of develop that, um, that mental and physical toughness. And it's when you kind of take a step back, and you're, you're working in the office, like those skills uh, can perish. Um, and so that's kind of one thing that I've taken into my training here in, um, in, in the Washington DC area. Uh, while I am working in office is, um, is to try to keep myself sharp. And what I, I do things like people think I'm crazy when they see me out training, but I'll do things to make myself uncomfortable to, to keep myself sharp in those areas. So I do things like on some of my long runs, I'll be running through a trail and then I'll be like, Oh man, it would really, I really don't want to run these last eight miles with like, you know, wet and muddy feet and I'll like run through, you know, run through a Creek or 
I'm going to leave the, I usually have a bucket and a sandbag in my, in my truck. I'll finish my run and I'm, I want to be done for the day. And I'll be like, nope, you're going to, you're going to go do, you're going to go do five hill repeats on this hill um, at Akating Park here in, in Springfield um, before you can go home. And so I, I kind of do things to, to make my training more uncomfortable. And I try to stay away from the air conditioned gyms. Like I still do it, um, but I don't make that the staple of my training, if that makes sense. I do a lot of stuff in my garage. I try to do as much outside of the elements that I'm gonna be racing in. Um, so I think that's why people in the military generally do well is because it's that toughness has been like pounded into us or, or beaten into us. And what, what do you think? Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, uh, the other thing I was going to say for that specific event, that was the first toughest mutter where there was no cash prize. And I think military people are really good at suffering for no immediate tangible reward. Yeah. Right. Like it's like, Oh, you want me to do something really painful for like this little piece of cloth that essentially is right. Like the Ranger tab is the tab itself is, is, is worthless. Right. It's like, it's just a piece of cloth that goes in your uniform. Right. I mean, it represents a lot more, but like, you know, people say that Ranger school takes, I've heard it takes years off your life <laughs> um, because of the, like how badly you're abusing your body. And um, I think people in the military, like some of the things you were saying, have just had a lot of experience doing things that are painful and very uncomfortable um, uh, sometimes for seemingly no reason. So, you know, if we find something that we that motivates us, like we want to win a race, I think we're, we're pretty good at it if it involves suffering a lot. Right. And it also works the other way too, is those, the suffer fest of OCR, um, we kind of lean on those experiences and that, that type of fitness as well. When we get back to the army um, yeah, 100%. and we're, and we're competing against our peers, whether it's in the school or, you know, SFAS or ranger school or, or wherever. Um, so, but yeah, that's a great point. I didn't even think about that with no, no cash prize at, the, at that event. Awesome. Now uh, we're going to start wrapping it up. But I mentioned at the beginning you were a rafting instructor, and I'm going to ask this because I, ha I have an answer from my side. But you know, are there any lessons from the world of rafting that you have brought over to OCR? Yeah. So when you when you sent me the read ahead, I was had, I thought hard about this one. I was like, man, I I don't know if I have a good answer for this one. The the one thing I came up with is the the importance of layering, the choice of clothing for a lot of these OCR events, specifically when you're going to get wet. And I was a complete newcomer. I was not in shape either. 2018, uh, showing up to Atlanta to do World's Toughest Mudder. Uh, so quick story here is um, I'd seen the event in the past. I was like, man, that looks awesome. I want to do that someday. Um, get out to Washington, D.C. Um, just decide on a whim, I'm going to do it. But I've never done a Tough Mudder event ever. So I try to waver in to be one of the elite contenders and they tell me like yeah like best ranger is cool that was the event i was trying to use <laughs> but uh they're like since you've never done a tough mudder we'll give you like contender you know contender status but you're not getting the elite contender so i started like the very back of the crowd um no one knew who i was and but like i was there to win i was not in very good shape um but I knew I, I had the toughness. I knew I had the experience I could, could rely on. And I knew I was going to go 24 hours. And um, so I had no idea where I stood in that race until 
uh, the morning of when they stopped me and put the yellow bib on, I think at hour 20. And um, I think with elite contender status, I would have placed higher because uh, I wouldn't have been waiting in line. You know, no one cared. You know, no one wanted to get out of my way yep. <laughs> or help me on anything. So I was basically on my own for the entire uh, first 20 hours. Once I put that yellow bib on, I was like, wow, that would have been incredible to have this treatment the first 20 hours of this race. Yeah, people treat you like royalty. All of a sudden, people are letting you go ahead. There's, um, I mean, it works with the elite contender bib. It works with the uh, green bib. It works with the, when you get, like, if you get the, if you get the 75 mile bib early enough in the race and put it on, people like literally part the seas for you. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. So. Like, so I, I was, uh, was not really expecting that. And I was helping people on obstacles because I thought that was just like part of the, and it is part of, uh, what, what Tough Mudder is all about. Um, but then I was also competing. So I, I, uh, but what I think what kept going and a lot of the elites struggled with is the temperatures. And I mean, I, I was not immune to it. I was freezing. Uh, just like everyone else um, but I think my experience of rafting you know in those early because this is rafting up in central Maine on the Kennebec River early springtime where we're in dry suits and uh, kind of that layering and kind of what to wear and what was going to work uh, to keep me keep me going so I had some of my old rafting supplies um, on hand and and then like the week i think a couple weeks before the event i i talked to uh, robert killian i was like hey what else do i need and he's like well you need a wetsuit so i i picked up a wetsuit last minute ended up wearing that i think for like 20 hours um, of the event um, but i think that experience of of layering clothing and and what type of fabric uh is a is a no-go for, for water obstacles um paid off for me so I think that's all I could come up with. What did you have? Uh, Good. Rapping? No, that was you're you're right on, but on a slightly different aspect of it. So that that was all great stuff. What I took. So I used to go rafting when I was a Cub Scout and Boy Scout with my dad, and I remember rafting as a kid. And you know, we'd have like a T-shirt on underneath your life preserver. And my dad would always be like, "Just take off the T-shirt. It's not doing anything good. It's just keep like it's just keeping your upper body wet. You know, it's not." Yeah if your skin is exposed, your skin will dry. And I took that mentality and I, I raced a lot of my toughest that way where people will have layers of fabric on that are going to keep them wet and I'll run shirtless. Um, the trick is you have to be able to run because to, to generate the heat to dry off. And it works significantly better during daytime because the sun will dry you out versus um, nighttime. Nighttime it still works, but just not as well because the sun's not out. But that's the one big thing I've I've taken away where I'll run shirtless. And even at at that Atlanta that year, uh, me and Wesley were running shirtless for like the first 25 miles. I mean, we were <laughs> – people were like – I mean, Pete, that was a cold year. I mean, people started off in wetsuits in 2018, yeah. you know. So um, – and I remember running and, you know, me and Wesley would spread out. And I was running a lot just because I was like, I don't want to get hypothermia. And I, you know, so like – that was keeping me warm, but yeah. Um, yeah. I think the, for me, looking back at that, at that one, the wetsuit, I would have gone without it for, for longer. Um, and I would have come out of it, I think in the morning, but what kept me in it, um, was the fact that it protected me. Yeah. When, when I did, uh, like on the obstacles, like my shins and my knees, uh, I think that was the worst part of that Philly one for me 
was just my my shins basically from ankle to my knee were just destroyed at the end without that extra extra layer of uh, of padding that the the wetsuit provided yeah i always i always notice when i put the wetsuit over the knees and the shins because yeah, mine are always torn up and i'm always like oh this is so much better yeah, every time all right so let's kind of start wrapping it up so 2020 is almost a complete wash uh but spartan is saying they're holding some they're gonna start holding the national series again so what are your plans for 2020 and then we'll talk uh, 2021 yeah so i mean that it's with everything on hold right now i'm i mean my plans are kind of on hold but I, I plan on pursuing uh, what's left of the Spartan U.S. National Series. So hopefully West Virginia late late August will be my, my next event. Um, and then it, it basically, if, if OCR is going to end up being a wash this season, I'm going to start looking, you know, pursuing some of the, the ultra running events um, because I just think those probably have a higher chance of, of happening at this point because you can, you know, send people out of waves and there's, we're not touching the same – uh, the same obstacles uh, one after another. So I think we're seeing more trail and obstacle races come back or trail and ultra events come back before obstacle racing. So I'm going to, I'll look into some of that type of stuff. Uh, but just a couple of things I have um, on the calendar, uh, considering, you know, pursuing the, the U S national 24 hour running team, which oh, nice. Get a, the minimum is 135 miles in 24 hours, which I think should be no problem um, at this point. Um, I've got a goal. I still I haven't broken 240 in a marathon ever, which I think I'm in shape to do that. I would like to just you know find one this fall if uh, if OCR is gonna gonna be uh, not starting up until 2021. Um, I would like to break six hours in a 50 miler, which I was just off at last year in K. So I, that's a goal of mine. And then uh, I think, uh, and the other one that people ask me about all the time is uh, I'm considering applying to the Barkley marathons. If Laz will, will have me. I think that kind of just combines, you know, everything that, that we're all about is the the ultra event and then you throw in some some land navigation on top of it and i think that's just the ultimate challenge um right there and there's like you said we're in the military we're all about doing something for for no major prize um just the the internal uh gratification the the one thing i'll so one of my friends that was in fifth group with me went out and did barclays and you need to go out there ahead of time and essentially run parts of the course and train on the course because there's stuff on the map that's not there's stuff that's not on the map that's on the ground and vice versa like vice versa so you have to actually like the guys who do and girls who do well there go out there and train in that area repeatedly right Mm -hmm. like it's um it's almost like best ranger how there's you know people people have like the inside scoop and they they know what's going on so if you want to if you want to do well there you physically have to take like plan for a couple trips out there before you yeah, actually show up that's really good to know yeah I, I was i was hoping to hitch my wagon to one of the vets out there you know and at least run the first few laps with with someone who kind of knows what they're doing and then they'll kind of figure things out but yeah that's a that's a great point if you end up getting in shoot me an email i'll introduce you to my friend from uh fifth group okay yeah that, i would love to love to do that but i think uh 
I guess my priority uh, when it comes to racing is, you know, the the Spartan U.S. National Series, hopefully hitting Tahoe for the the North American Championships, and then uh, would love to do the the Spartan Ultra World Championships if they if they do pop back on the calendar, and then uh, the World Championships as well. Um, I think they're I think Abu Dhabi looks like it's off. Uh, so we'll see if it springs somewhere in the United States. Have you considered the uh, the Spartan 24-hour? I have. Uh, it It does not play too much. If, like, if World Stuff Smuzzer wasn't going to happen, I would probably go out there just for the fun of it. Okay. Um, but it doesn't play to my strengths. I'm not super good on mountains. And I know the solution to that is to train more mountains and run more mountains. And I know that. I just uh, haven't made the physical and mental effort to pursue that route because most of my races are not super mountain heavy. So it would right. really be, I'd have to specially train for that. And I haven't uh, made that yeah. commitment yet. Yeah. In Kansas, you're not going to find much in your neck of the woods for, yeah. uh, for terrain to train on too. Yeah. And that's another option too, is uh, would love to come back to the world's toughest mutter at some point. Um, I, I love that event in 2018. That's one of my favorite events I've ever been a part of uh, just just pure suffering. And that was brutal with those conditions. So I do plan to return at some point. Um, just don't know when that will be yet. Yeah. You, that was a good year. I had a it was. Yeah. <laughs> Pierre, before we go, tell us something people would be surprised to know about you. So preferably non OCR related, the more random, the better. What do you got? Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess one thing is, uh, that most people are surprised about is I was, I went to grad school coming out of my undergrad to, uh, I was in a post-baccalaureate medical program at the University of North Carolina. So um, was on the path to become a doctor, uh, dropped out of school after one semester at uh, University of North Carolina to join the army because I was, I was done with, with school, just wanted to, you know, get to work. And then kind of the ironic part is the army sends me right back to grad school 10 years later. Um, so I, I, we talked about quitting earlier. That was one time I did quit. <laughs> <laughs> so since we're talking about, since we're talking about army stuff, I'll, I'll let people know. Right. So like, I think again, people meet me now and have a certain impression of who I was when I first graduated high school. You know, I want, I wanted to go into the army, but I had no intentions of, doing anything combat related. I was like, all right, I just want to go in there and get some free, free school and, you know, do a couple of years. I'll probably get out after that. And just the more, again, kind of like the slippery slope of endurance I got in and the more people I met and the more uh, people I interacted with, they were like, you know, I fell into a group of friends who were like, you know, why are you going to be a medical service officer? Why don't you, you know, if you're going to join the army, do army stuff. And I was like, that's a, that's a pretty good point. You know? And then, you start hanging out with those people enough and it changes your mindset. And all of a sudden you're like, no, no, I want to go to ranger school. I want to suffer needlessly for 61 days to earn a little patch on my shoulder and shorten my lifespan. And uh, it's a slippery slope and you end up sliding down. I mean, that's how I found endurance sports is, was I was prepping for ranger school. I was prepping for selection. And uh, eventually my interest in the military has dwindled and I'm still in, but I got a couple of years left and I'll, be able to retire but and my interest in endurance sports has risen so it's almost the uh you know the kind of the building block for why i was doing it is is overtaken the actual reason which is just kind of interesting but 
Yeah, that sounds sounds eerily familiar with yep. with kind of what um, how you ended up in special forces. With I came in with kind of the same same mentality of you know just a few years get some some experience and then my plan was to go work for a three-letter agency uh, somewhere but a lot of times you needed that you needed the education and then you also needed the some type of experience so i was hoping to just come in you know be a maybe an intel officer um, get the security clearance get some experience and then you know do my three and a half year term and then get out and then I get, I got in, I kind of got wrapped up in that, that culture of pushing the limits, kind of came to the conclusion that, yeah, if I'm going to be in the army, I'm going to do something that I can't do in the civilian sector. And I was the infantry and, and then one thing leads to the other. And next thing you know, you're a ranger platoon leader, uh, leading raids in Afghanistan. Yeah. So it, you're right. It is a, uh, it's a slippery slope, but it's, it's worked out great uh, for me and my family and we, we couldn't be happier. So, um, I agree agree with that. Yeah. I did come up with a, another kind of crazy weird fact. If you want to edit this one in, go for it. So I have, I have Dupuytren's contracture in my right hand. Um, no idea what that means. It's like a genetic, um, it's like a genetic uh, ailment that can come on at any time. It's usually, it predominantly appears in men of like Scandinavian descent, uh, which my dad has it too. Uh, but we both of us are like, That's, we might have a very, very small um, part of that in us. But what that is, is it's where the tissue in your, it's usually your, your uh, pinky and your ring finger um, will, this tissue will start to form and it, it causes like contracture in your hand. Um, so in college playing basketball, I had broken and dislocated both of those fingers at different points. So they're already kind of mangled and uh, like misshapen, if you will, when I came into the army, but my hand was straight. And then over, over the years, they, my fingers on my right hand just slowly started to um, contract. And by the time I went and actually saw a doctor, my pinky and my ring finger on my right hand were almost at 90 degrees. Like I couldn't straighten them further than 90 degrees. Uh, so you can only imagine what my, my salute looked like. Ah, yeah. Uh, so that's really the point. Like it really wasn't slowing me down from gripping anything. Um, I feel like it should help with gripping because your hand's always stuck in that position. No, you're, it's funny you said that because like, yeah, like I could like, you know, on a, on a carry when my, everything else is failing, like those fingers aren't going anywhere. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but yeah, so I decided to get it checked out and they're like, when I went to the doctor, I was like, yeah, I've broken and dislocated both these fingers before. Um, so I think there's just a lot of scar tissue and he's like, yeah, I think you're right. However, I think you also might have this Dupuytren's contracture and I've actually seen it which is kind of funny that I've seen two people, two other people in the OCR community post about, you know, having this um, disease essentially in their, in their hand. Um, and, and they're like, I don't know how I'm going to continue to do this in, in OCR and everything. So I had the surgery, my fingers are straight now. I got scars all the way down my hand. Um, and my hand has made a, has made a full recovery, but it can come back at, at any time. So 
kind of a weird thing that kind of works against my uh, my OCR career. Uh, but it's been clear for the last, I guess it's been almost five years now. So it, it hasn't come back. Uh, but kind of, yeah, kind of a weird, a weird thing to crop up when you're in in my late twenties, really, when it appeared. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, according to the army, I'm slowly losing hearing in my left ear, um, which oh, you'll get, you'll maybe you'll get paid for that someday. Yeah. So they were, she's like, let me guess when I went into the, the hearing test last year, she's like, you're a right-handed shooter. I'm like, yeah. She's like, yeah. Cause your left ear is closer to the barrel of the gun and your right ear, essentially your skull is protecting the, uh, the sound wave from your right ear. So, um, could be that could be, uh, IED explosions, who knows, but, uh, my wife says I'm always deaf. So, um, and I, I actually, I, I never noticed it until now that like someone told me something's wrong. Now I, I know I can notice it. I'm like, um, like if I put my headphones in, I always thought my left headphones is usually full of sweat. I'm always like, Oh, it's my left headphone. That's malfunctioning. It's not my ear. <laughs> But apparently oh, no. it's my it's apparently it's my ear. So now that now that you mention it, I I kind of feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> I might want to get that checked out. I guess. Yeah. Just all right. And uh, Mark is great talking to you. Um, yeah. Thank you for having me. This is a blast. Yeah. One before you go, what uh what what brigade were you in in the hundred first? So I was in the fourth brigade. So Kurahi oh. then that no longer exists. Gotcha. Yeah. Were you, were you Bastone? Uh, Rockasan. Rockasan. Rockasan, of course. I'm surprised you didn't tell me. If you were in Rockasan, these are those guys, <laughs> those guys all let you know. Yeah. And then they, we got to show you our tattoo too. But <laughs> I actually don't have, I don't have a Rockasan tattoo, but um, I actually thought about getting one for, for one of the soldiers we lost, but I ended up not doing it. But uh, yeah. So good times in the 101st. I'd, uh, I had a great time there. It was. I, w- I would go back there again if given the opportunity. All right, on. Well, hopefully we'll uh, cross paths either on the OCR world or somewhere on the military side. And wish you best uh, wishes on your training and looking forward to see what you can do in the sport, especially being uh, relatively new to it. But obviously you've been excelling in pretty much every sport you've, you've participated in. So really curious yeah, to see where you go. Yeah, thanks for having me. Evan and I will be uh, showing up at Fort Leavenworth in September. Uh, so I'll reach out. So we'll have to get a get some workouts in. I see that rig you got in your garage. You could probably show me a thing or two on that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely we'll definitely meet up. I'm excited. As long as it doesn't get canceled. <laughs> yeah. I, so. Exactly. All right. We'll catch you later, Mark. All right. Have a good one. Thanks again. Thanks.